All right, I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Today represents our final morning sermon as it relates to the family. We've been in a family series now. Uh, This is the sixth week and final week before we transition our minds away from the family and toward the resurrection over the next several weeks. As we have done so, of course, we began by speaking to the individual elements of the family. We, to- we spoke to wives and we spoke to husbands. We spoke to parents. Last week we spoke to children. And today we conclude our time by kind of bubbling up a concept which will be essential not just in the family context, but essential in the church context as well. And I'm going to take this concept in both of these directions today. I'm not just going to talk about your family individually, but I'm going to talk about us as the family of God. Now remember at the beginning of our series, we rooted everything that we were talking about in the concept of design, that God has a design. And it is not for us to simply make up what we think is best as it relates to the family. It's not for us just to kind of go off and do our own thing, but rather the way that we find success as a family is to identify God's design and to align with it. Husbands, identify God's design for you in the family, align with it, and you'll have the Lord's blessing. Wives, identify God's design for you in the family, align with it, and you'll have God's blessing. Parents, identify God's design for you in the family, align with it, and you'll have God's blessing. Children, identify God's design for you in the family, align with it, and you'll have God's blessing. So all throughout this series, we have generally assumed a few things. One of the things we've assumed is that we are speaking to family members within the context of faith. Now, our younger children, many of which are not uh, born again, they have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior yet, and we understand that we're teaching them, we are uh, directing them as parents toward the gospel, and yet, as I speak toward these things, simply put, none of this matters if you don't believe that God's design is best. None of this matters if you don't rest on the truths of the Word of God and say, yes, this is the manual for life, and if I align with this, it will be best for me. Not if I align with what the, the most modern elements of psychology are saying. Not as I align with what the, 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 the most uh, uh, modern techniques are, but as I align with what God's Word says, there is a blessing there. And if this is the case, then we can dig even deeper than just your various roles within the family, we can go deeper into the very nature of relationships in faith. In other words, it's not just about, I mean, even the unbeliever, if they align with God's design as it relates to the family, if they align with these things, there will be a natural blessing that comes from it. These are, these are natural graces that come. But since the majority of us are believers, and if you are a believer, you've got something more. We can go deeper. We can dig deeper and explore even more full, richer elements of fulfillment and joy found in personal interaction one with another as a family and then as a church. To this end, what we're going to talk about today is not just a consideration of the elements of blood family, but also of the family of Christ, the family of God. So as is typical, we found our understanding of family relationships upon 
the Word of God, and specifically, we have done so through Ephesians 5 and 6. Ephesians 5 and 6 forms what we might understand to be the template, not just for the family, but as we look broader, it is the template for church relationships. Now, there's any number of places we can go, and we're going to go this morning, to understand the concept of relationship one with another as believers. But we really do see these elements rooted in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. Now, as far as the family goes, we began in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, right? And that's where we begin because that's where the scriptures begin talking about family. So that's natural. It speaks of wives, then it speaks of husbands, then it speaks of children, and then it speaks of parents. We did those last two out of order as it related to our series. But uh, we, we covered all of them from Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. But just before Paul, or, uh, Paul begins speaking to blood family in Ephesians 5.22, the first 21 verses of Ephesians chapter 5 are speaking to the whole church about their responsibilities one toward another. Now, I'm driving toward a particular end here, so I'm not going to exposit this passage deeply this morning. We'll save that for when I do an Ephesians series. But I do want us to summarize a little bit of what we find leading up to Paul's teaching on the family in Ephesians chapter 5. So the Bible says this in Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So we are called immediately in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, to follow God and to do so by walking in love as Christ has loved us. Allow that to be the context within which you are understanding what we're talking about as it relates to family. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. He's given himself for us, so too you ought to have that Mindset. He is a sweet-smelling savor, the idea of a sacrifice unto God. So, too, you walk in love. And then, as he establishes this context, he then exhorts them unto personal purity. What does it mean to walk in love? Well, one of the things means holiness. Verses 3 through 12. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as become a saint, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So we see here first uncleanness, covetousness. These are heart issues. These are, these are issues of the body. And then he speaks of the tongue, right? Uh, filthiness and foolish talking and jesting, not convenient. Rather, give thanks. Now this comes right on the heels of Ephesians 4, where in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul spent time saying that you need to put off the old man with its affections and lusts and put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus, unto righteousness and holiness. And so we put off the old man, we put on the new, one of those things being, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And so... Uh, uh, so we have this concept already, and, and he's doubling down on it. Verse 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So these things define the unbelieving world. And if they define the unbelieving world, then we should have no part in them. In fact, he says that in verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, 
But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you are light, walk as children of light. Paul would say a similar thing in Galatians 5. If ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He says in verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Paul exhorts the church to purity. He exhorts them to separation. He exhorts them to live in the distinction that has been purchased for them in Christ. He exhorts us to live in the distinctions that Christ has purchased for us on the cross. That's not you anymore. The fornication and the uncleanness, the things which are not convenient, the filthiness and foolish talking, that was you, that, those are the marks of darkness. That's not you any longer. So walk in light. Resist the urge to be partakers of the uncleanness of this world. Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 21, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, as Paul exhorted the Romans unto living a life of righteousness. What fruit do you have in these things? Those things lead to nothing but separation, nothing but a severing from the power of God. Those things lead to death. There's no fruit in them what fruit had ye in those things which are now ashamed? If you had no fruit in them, then, then abandon them. They're in the past. Much to the rather, we have an opportunity as the body of Christ to show the world our faith through our purity, through our obedience, through our submission. And in doing so, we manifest to the darkness what is the light? And this is what Paul says as he continues in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. As you walk in the light, as you live a life of distinction, your life is natural reproof. You shine the light into the darkness and the darkness is made manifest. And people know the darkness that they're living in by the life and preaching of the light. And so we're called to walk circumspectly. Walk carefully. Why walk carefully? Because the world is watching. Why walked carefully? Because we have a testimony to uphold for the sake of Christ. Now, this is all the foundation of the family teaching. We're called to walk wisely rather than foolishly, to walk carefully, circumspectly, and then to redeem the time because the days are evil, to shine the light while we can so we love one another. That's what verses 1 and 2 said. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Second, walk in purity. This is how we shine the light. Finally, as a corporate testimony, as the family of God, we are called to faithfully serve and submit one to another in verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Be filled with the Spirit. That's what verses 17 and 18 uh, speak toward. Sing with and unto one another. Verse 19. Give thanks for all things. Verse 20. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 21. And this is where I would like us to go in our time together today. As it relates to design, as it relates to authority, God's design for marriage is that the husband leads the home. He has headship. The husband leads under Christ and the wife submits as unto the Lord. God's design for the family is that the parents lead under Christ and that the children submit and honor, obey and honor as unto the Lord. As it relates to the church, there's a design that the elders lead under Christ and that the body submits as unto the Lord. But as it relates to every one of us as believers, if we set aside the authority relationships for a moment and speak as believers, whether we talk about blood family, your immediate relations, or whether we talk simply about the family of God, the call is that every one of us, each one of us, would submit one to another in the fear of God. Let's talk about what this means. First, I'd like to talk about the concept of submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God on principle. And we'll go to 1 John to talk about the principle. And then I want to talk about what this looks like practically. And there's no better place to go but Romans 12 to do that. So in Ephesians 5, we see a contrast between the darkness in, in which the unbeliever walks and the light in which we are called to walk. First John deals very much with these same things. Of course, we know the Gospel of John is all about light and darkness, belief and unbelief. First John is speaking to believers about darkness and light within them. And John writes this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. He says, And hereby do we know that we know Him. We have confidence that we know Christ. It's not saying this is... This is how to be saved. This is saying this is how we know we know him. We have confidence in him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he, that would be Christ, walked. So John is writing to believers and he's telling them about how, as John states in 1 John 1 verse 4, they might have fullness of joy by walking in fellowship. Jesus would connect this idea in his teachings in John 15 with the concept of abiding in Christ. Abide in me, Jesus said in John 15. 1 John speaks of this idea of abiding as well. And it is in abiding that we can find the fullness of the knowledge of God, the fullness of joy, the fullness of our life in Christ, living out the realities of the life that is in Christ. It's not true of every believer that they are experiencing fullness of joy. It is not true of every believer that they are experiencing not just life, but as Jesus said in John 10, life more abundantly. In fact, in my experience, there's relatively few believers that actually ever truly experience this in their lives. And this explains why so much of the believing world is not living in confidence toward God. They're not having their prayers answered. They're not living in fullness of joy. They have no confidence. To that end, every man 
that does not keep Christ's commandments is not knowing Christ, not abiding in Christ. And any man who would claim otherwise is a liar. They're not living in the light. They're not walking in the light. They're not knowing Christ. Those that keep Christ's word, John says, in them the love of Christ is perfected. And when the love of Christ is perfected in us, when we are keeping Christ's commandments, it is then that we have confidence that we are, in fact, in Christ, because we are seeing the fruit of the Spirit borne out. We are experiencing His peace. We are experiencing answered prayers. And if we say that we abide in Christ, then we simply put, we ought to walk as Jesus walked. This is what we ought to do. So as John continues in the text, he, he speaks of a concept which Jesus did on His time on earth. He says in verses uh, 7 and 8 of 1 John 2, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which is true in him, in Christ, and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. Now, what John is about to say, he says, is not new. It's an old commandment. As a matter of fact, it goes well before the advent of Jesus Christ, even before the advent of the law, and has existed from the beginning with God. This is a, a foundational commandment throughout all of Scripture's. But at the same time, it is new in Christ. There is something new to this commandment as it relates to those who have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling. See, the Old Testament didn't have that. The Old Testament believer didn't have that advantage. The Spirit of God fell upon the church at Pentecost. And from that day forward, nothing has been the same. And so we have this new commandment which Jesus gave unto us. He says it's an old commandment, but it's a new one. It's new in Him. That in the power of the Holy Spirit, this commandment that we're about to see takes on a whole new life. One which never existed before that in history. God has empowered us as believers to an age-old end through His Spirit, which He had empowered no other generation to do in the same way. So what is this commandment? 1 John 2, verse 9 and 10. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. The commandment is this. Love your brother. Love one another. Love those who are a part of the household of faith. We're speaking here of spiritual family. Love the brethren. Love each other. If you say that you are walking in the light, but you don't love the brethren, you're walking in darkness. If you love the brethren, you're abiding in the light. You're not going to put an occasion of stumbling in front of him. Now, we know that we're called by God to love all men, to love our neighbor as ourselves. The second great commandment, to do good to all men. But the family of God... Those who share the common faith, we have a whole different and better standard of love and sacrifice that is laid upon us. Paul exhorted the church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. See, it's important to note something about this verse. This verse is not saying that whenever 
you find it convenient. Whenever a unique opportunity arises to do good that you should take it, now this is no doubt true. If a, if a special opportunity comes to do good, take it. But this idea here of as you have opportunity does not mean a unique occasion that might come up every now and again where an opportunity arises. The idea here, the word opportunity speaks of a proper season of time. In other words, while you still have opportunity, while you still have opportunity, this is the time that while we live in this life, while the day is yet here, the sun is still up in the sky, it hasn't set yet, there's still opportunity to do some good, especially to the household of faith. While the season is, is here, do good to men. And especially, notice the elevated relationship, especially to the household of faith, especially to your brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Continuing in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, John says, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath, hath blinded his eyes. Again, this is not a book teaching about salvation, belief and unbelief. This is a book teaching us about fellowship. God judges unbelief, whether among born-again or not born-again people, with darkness, a darkness which blinds our spiritual eyes, that as we allow a lack of regard, a lowering of favor, or an actual emotional hatred, that word hatred in the, in the Bible does not always just mean an emotional loathing. The concept of hatred in the Bible is to place lower in value or favor. As we disregard our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we fail to honor them, or as we most certainly exercise some sort of emotional hatred toward them, we are thus, we, we sever ourselves from the power of God and we find ourselves fruitless. We will be enveloped in darkness that will blind our eyes to the truth that will blind our eyes to the way that we should go, that will blind our eyes to our capacity to make choices in line with Christ. It stunts our spiritual growth. It hinders our spiritual uh, burdens. It, it obscures our spiritual vision for what God could and should do. When the Holy Spirit's speaking, you're not listening anymore. You're not hearing Him because you're walking in darkness. This is the nature of what happens when we are living with hatred toward our brother. If we aren't loving the brethren, we're not walking in the Spirit, simply put. You're not abiding in Christ. John here, as I've mentioned, is referencing Jesus' teaching, which is recorded in John chapter 13. I want to take you there just for a moment so that you can see where John got this from. In verses 34 and 35 of John 13, the Bible says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Notice what he says then. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now link this to what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 5. Remember how Paul was making this distinction between the light and the darkness and that we need to walk in the light and not in the darkness? And that in doing so we reprove the darkness? It's made manifest by the light? That's what Jesus is saying here. As we love one another, as we serve one another, as we live in purity one toward another... That is what will cause all men to know that we are his disciples. As we love one another, as Christ has loved us. This is our testimony to all men of the power of Christ in us. And as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God, this is what he's talking about. Mutual submission. Mutual respect, 
Mutual relationships, one with another, clothed in care and in humility and in self-sacrifice. Yes, there are obviously authority positions at play when it comes to uh, elders, when it comes to fathers, when it comes to husbands. They are in headship roles. But husband, but father, but elder, that does not mean that you are not to walk in submission, humility, and care one toward another as fellow believers in Christ. Self-sacrifice, deference to one another's needs. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. What a standard. That as I step into the church on a Sunday, that as I step into my week on a Monday and I consider the interaction that I have with the body of Christ, I am esteeming other better than myself. I am thinking of other before myself. I am lifting up other in deference to myself or in deference to them in in expense of myself. When a group of believers are living like Christ, this is what it will look like. When a family, a believing family, is operating in faith, a blood family, parents of faith, children of faith, this is what it will look like. Now, when we say parents submitting themselves to their children and children to their parents, we're not talking about the role of obedience and authority. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about parents who esteem other better than themselves. A relationship of care and of humility and of self-sacrifice, both ways, parents to children, children to parents, brother to sister, sister to brother, husband to wife, wife to husband. This is what the family will look like if the family is walking in Christ. A believing family and the family of God These are not intended to be units of people bound together by power and authority relationships. That is not what a family is. That is not what a church is. It's not a group of people bound together by authority relationships. Those relationships exist by God's design. They're necessary. We don't don't ignore them. I've preached on them for the last four weeks, right? But, fathers, when you look at your family... What you want to see, what what your goal should be as you nurture and admonish your children, as you guide and lead your wife into what she ought to be, into what your children ought to be, as you form your family as unto the Lord, what you want to see is a situation where there is consistent, humble interaction between every moving part. Submission between every moving part. Mutual love and respect between every moving part where everyone is serving other rather than themselves, where the needs of others are the highest priority. This is family. And you can perhaps see through the various cross-references we've already used in this message that this concept is all throughout the New Testament. Now, again, that reminds us that this concept is about belief. It's about faith. This is not going to be fully realized before your children have accepted Christ, before they've grown in Christ. But this is the end goal as it is the goal of the church. I don't know that this concept, as far as what it looks like, principally speaking, we go to 1 John, we see this concept links to John 13 about loving one another. Practically speaking, I don't know that we can go anywhere to see this more clearly than in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes this, 
For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now again, we're not, this is not what we're talking about. We're not expositing Romans 12 today, so we're not going to dig into all of what this means. I've done that before. But Paul speaks in Romans 12 to the reality which we see in the family of God, just as we see it in individual families among us, that while we are one family, we are in fact many unique members. The church does not consist of carbon copies and families are not carbon copies. I have twin girls, seven years old, and they are night and day different. Night and day different. We are not carbon copies one of another. We are not all the same. But just because we're not all the same doesn't mean we can't all function together. Just because we in the church are very different, and this is a very different, we have a lot of very unique styles and personalities and, per, and such in this church. It's a very diverse church. But we're one. We're called to function as one through love and through submission. We are a living, breathing organism which is made of individual parts, each one different, each one with different skills, each one with different gifts, each one useful to the extent that it is submitted to the good of the body. If all of a sudden my knees decided to just go off on their own and stop working for the good of the body, I'm going to have a hard time. If my ears decide that, that, that they're just going to serve their own purposes anymore and they're not going to work for the good of the body, my body's going to have a hard time. I need each one of my individual members submitted to the needs of the whole if my body is going to function as it ought. To that end, each one understands that the whole is indeed more than the sum of its parts. That families are stronger together than apart. That churches are stronger together than any individual one of us can be. And as each of us use our, uses our gifts cheerfully for the success of the whole, we please God. This is true of the church. This is true of the family as well. Young people, parents, children, husband, wife, it's not about you. It's not about you. Submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And this is what I want us to be thinking about in both contexts. First, families. Is this what your family looks like? Children, don't be resentful when your parents expect you to use your abilities for the good of the family. You're a part of the family. Submit yourself gladly. This is, what, this is the will of God for you. Be eager to set aside your priorities for the needs of the family. This is the will of God for you. Parents, in many ways, of course, parents' sacrifice is life, Right? But I've been amazed as I've become a parent over these past uh, uh, seven and a half years that I've been a parent, how selfish I can be in self-sacrifice. <laughs> how often I can just take all, the, all these little bits back. 
There's plenty of ways that we can get selfish. Parents, your kids aren't slaves. Submitting ourselves one to another in love. We're a family. Church. Is this how we look? We have abilities. We have gifts given to us by God. We feel burdens for particular groups of people. We have a passion for something. Maybe you say something to the effect of, if only the church had, fill in the blank. If only our church did, fill in the blank. Well, maybe that's your job. Maybe that's your part in the body. Maybe our body's missing something because one of its members is not submitted to the body. There's a community that needs to be reached. There's people that need to be taught. There's things that need to be done. What it means to be a church is submitting ourselves one to another in love. Let's continue in the text. Romans 12, verse 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. We're called that word dissimulation there in the Greek meaning without hypocrisy. We're called to have unhypocritical love one toward another. Is this what your family looks like when you go home? Unhypocritical love in honor preferring one another. Does that, is that what your family looks like as believers in the family? Say, well, pastor, this isn't a family passage. No, but it's a believer passage. That's what I'm saying. If you have a believing family, particularly among husband and wife, if you're believers, this is you. Deliberate kindness toward one another. Deliberate preference one toward another. The old saying goes, blood is thicker than water. The idea being that family relationships trump other relationships, more important than friends. Well, and perhaps you know, we've all experienced this, where you do something for a family member you would never do for a friend, or you put up with something in a family member you would never put up with in a friend, because they're family. Well, we find here that the spirit is thicker than blood. That our love and our deference and our preference toward the believer is to reign supreme. We are to love one another as Christ loved us, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Ephesians 5.21, that's the point. Verses 11 through 15. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. We serve the Lord together. We rejoice in our expectation of God's promises together. We are patient through hard times together. We pray together. We help one another. We serve one another. We bless those who curse us. We rejoice together with those who rejoice. We weep together with those that weep. We do what families do We do what churches do. We submit ourselves one to another in love. Back to Galatians 6 for just a moment. We find Paul say in verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfilling the love of Christ is bearing one another's burdens. And so Paul would say in verse 16 of Romans chapter 12, Be of the same mind one toward another, Mind not the high things, but condescend to men of low estate. 
Be not wise in your own conceits. Get over yourself. Get your mind off yourself. Humility, deference, love, service, submission. This is what a believing family should look like. This is what the church looks like. Throughout this entire series, we have gone to any number of passages to describe God in this church in order to understand the family. Fathers, we model our techniques after God the Father. We love our children as God loves His children. We chasten our children in love because this is what God does. Husbands, we model our love for our wives after Christ's love for His church. Christ gave His life for His church. We give our lives for our wives. Christ nurtures and protects. We nurture and protect. Christ provides. We provide. Christ molds and shapes. We mold and shape. We model our our role as husband after Christ. Now, wives, you model your submission to your husband after the church's submission to Christ. The church follows Christ. You follow your husband. The church's success is rooted in Christ's success. That as Christ is preached, that as Christ is successful, that as the kingdom of God grows, so too our church is counted successful because our success is rooted in Christ's success. The church trusts Christ, yields to Christ, depends upon Christ. You trust and yield and depend upon your husband. This is right. In every element of this scenario, there is a natural breakdown, of course. Husband, you aren't Christ, right? Is that because I'm not Christ, because I as a father am not God the Father, uh, God is perfect, He is faithful, He cannot fail, I can, and I will. So there's a natural breakdown here, but we still aim for that goal. We fall terribly short of perfection, but this is our model. And in much the same way, what we have done today is sought to understand family through the teaching of God's Word. We learn about the family of Christ. The family of Christ is our highest loyalty. We serve the family of Christ. We honor the family of Christ. We provide for the family of Christ. We are members one of another. We're stronger together than apart. We walk through this life together so that none of us is ever alone. And through this example, we find an example of what family should look like. If you're a believing family, as your children accept Christ as their Savior, as they grow in grace, parents, this is your goal, that your family should be a place of haven, a place of rest, a place of safety, a place of peace, a place of love, a place of understanding, where you're submitting yourselves one to another in love serving one another in love, each esteeming other better than themselves, each doing our part for the sake of the others in the family. And as we obey, what we find, parents, as we model our families after this, as you model yourself father and husband after Christ and the Father, wives, as you model yourself after the example of the, 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 example of the church, as we call for our children, as they accept Christ as their Savior and grow in grace, to submit themselves humbly one to another in love, our children are taught by us being a good father about God the Father. Our children are taught by us being good husbands about the nature of Christ's relationship with His church. Our children are taught by mothers who submit themselves to their husbands about the nature of how the church submits itself to Christ. And as our families function in love and in deference and in self-sacrifice one toward another, the next generation will grow up with their eyes on the church rather than on themselves. 
with a determination to serve and love the community of Christ rather than simply taking what they can get with the least amount of effort possible. Fathers, it is the function of your family to reflect well to your children this nature. And as they grow in understanding of of the, the gospel and as they accept the gospel and as they grow in Christ, to understand their obligation unto it. Naturally then, this is what the church should look like. And I asked already, is this you in the body of Christ? Is this you as it relates to the church? Now we're all at various places in our relationship with this church, Legacy Baptist Church, but as it relates to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as we look for a body within which we can make these things function, the local church where God has ordained for God's people to assemble and to function in this way, is this the body where God wants you? Are you a member who can contribute to this body? Are you contributing? Are you endeavoring with the body to serve one another in love? Are you serving this local body? Are you praying for one another, serving one another, meeting our needs, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, submitting ourselves one to another? Is this what our body looks like? Or are you a reluctant member? The church has a need, but you're not filling it, even though you could. Are you reluctant? You're here to take what you can get, but not to give anything back. Are you like that kid who is grown up, perfectly capable, but he's living in his parents' basement, eating their food, using their cars, contributing nothing in a discernible way to life, but having your needs generally met? May I just say, if that's you, you're missing out. Now, the body of Christ is the body of Christ. God will give us the grace to function. But you are missing out. Don't just be a consumer of the body of Christ. Don't expect others to serve you, but not assume a mindset of service back. If God wants you in a body of Christ, there's work to be done, there's people to be served, there's needs to be met, there's discipleship needs, there's service needs, there's support needs, there's people to bless, there's people to reach, there's things to be done. And that's what a family does. It works together. It finds a role and it contributes because we're submitting ourselves one to another in love. We're serving one another in love. We're yielding ourselves one to another in love for the good of the family. Fathers, this is what we want our families to look like, our blood families to look like. That's the model. That's the goal. That's where we should be driving. And that's what we want our church family to look like as well. Members one of another, bearing each other's burdens, identifying our gifts and using them to serve the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.